You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. To the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. You're going to be getting ready for chapter 1, verse 46. If you're using a phone or a tablet, you can use the Version Bible app. And if you follow the instructions on the screen, it will take you right there uh, to where you need to be. While you're finding Luke chapter 1, it's the season for singing. Whether you enjoy Christmas tunes on the radio or listening to carol singers or choirs, one of the things most of us like best about this time of year is the music. And even for those of us who particularly don't like to sing, Christmas carols, both old and new, have this way of getting us into the holiday, holiday spirit, where we might even hum a tune if not sing it. And, you know, if you've paid any attention over the years of the various Christmas songs that get played on the radio or in concerts, you know, if you have satellite radio or Spotify or something like that, the various Christmas songs and carols convey different messages. You know, some focus on the wintry atmosphere that marks this time of year everywhere else but Southern California. Um, <laughs> so I always find it weird to listen to Winter Wonderland or, you know, some of these other ones as I'm looking at palm trees and I'm like, it's going to be 90 today. Okay. Um, other songs, you know, they'll call our attention to the pending arrival of the man in the red suit, right, and his entourage of reindeer. And then there's other songs that will tap into our anticipation either of going or coming home for Christmas, for being with family and friends. And most of them, most of them, not all, remain rooted, even if it's only by inference, in the birth, in the coming of the one who makes the celebration of Christmas even possible. God and Christ. Lots of Christmas songs. Right now, maybe even you're thinking of the one that is your favorite, and you might even be thinking of the one you can't stand. Um, But in the midst of all of the Christmas songs and carols, long before any of the ones that we hear on the radio or in concerts were ever written, the very first Christmas song ever burst forth by divine inspiration. The singer was Mary, a teenage girl who had only recently been invited and consented to be the birth mother of the Messiah, the Son of God. With this child just beginning to take shape inside of her, Mary is is lifting her voice before her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, if you weren't with us last week, this is the part of the story we looked at. Elizabeth is her much older cousin. And she is a woman who herself, after decades of being unable to conceive, is also with child. And she, Elizabeth, has been prompted by the joyous leap of her son-to-be within her womb. And and out of that, she rejoices Elizabeth in Mary's faith and the pending arrival of Mary's son, the long-awaited and promised Messiah, Savior of the world. That's what we looked at last week. And where we are now is that in response to Elizabeth's child leaping for joy, Elizabeth offering this word of praise. In response to her cousin's affirmation, Mary begins to sing. Now, some bad news for you. Unfortunately, the original recording of this spontaneous anthem does not exist. But you have your Bibles open because the gospel writer Luke has recorded for us, however 
has put down the verses for us of the very first Christmas song ever. And I invite us to listen in and to take it in as we read from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, sang, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, what I'd like to do today is I'd like first for us to appreciate uh, this song. I'd like us to take a closer look at it to, in order to really get inside of us its themes and its nuances. So we're going to kind of look at that quickly. And then after we kind of take this song, and I mean, I almost want to like, we're listen- like we could listen to it, you know, like it was playing and we could talk about it. And then after that, I want to address how Mary's song relates to us, how we can relate to Mary's song today. So you, you may know this, you may not. In the history of the church, the tradition of the church, This beautiful hymn has been known by many names, many different names, but more often than not, it's known as the Magnificat, the Magnificat. And that title uh, comes from the Latin translation of the first word of the opening lyric of Mary's song. Uh, Magnificat means magnifies, as in when Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. So to magnify means to enlarge or make greater in status or importance. As in uh, another word that comes from this, magnificent, right? The word magnificent. So the word is about enlarging or making greater in status or importance. And so if you're tracking with me, Mary begins her song with a paradoxical statement. It's a paradoxical statement. And why I say that is because how can one magnify someone who is already infinite and eternal in his person. You with me on this? A mere human being cannot literally make God more important or give God greater status. So what is Mary singing as she starts her song? And what I want you to understand from the get-go is through her praise, Mary seeks not to make God more important or greater in and of himself. That's impossible. Mary instead, like a magnifying glass, you hear that word magnify, like a magnifying glass, Mary looks to reveal something that makes the glory and majesty of the Lord more evident to the rest of us. So she's magnifying the Lord to draw our attention to something about the greatness and and majesty of God that we might not otherwise see. And, And specifically, through her singing, Mary magnifies. What she does is she narrows the lens of our attention as she sings on what the Lord has done for her. And as we continue to listen, more broadly, what the Lord will do through her, through the child she is bearing. So if you stop for a second, right at the get-go, Mary's song, while it's about who she is in the Lord, it's also by extension about who any of us are in the eyes of God. Mary demonstrates from the start, the closer we get to the Lord as we magnify him ourselves, the bigger our awareness of his presence in our life. As we see 
how God sees us, we come to see the Lord a little bit differently, which in a wider, richer, and more personal or intimate terms than before. So Mary sings and magnifies for us and for all who hear the Lord. And, and through that encourages us to magnify the Lord in our own lives. But if you're, we're paying attention, you'll notice that Mary's song begins with praise, but very quickly turns prophetic. It turns prophetic. While the tune that she's carrying is heavenly, no question, it lifts us up as hearers, right? To new heights, making us close, bringing us closer to God. Mary's song is also, like the incarnation itself, very down to earth. As she sings about how things are and how things will be. In other words, this isn't just a song about praising the Lord for graciously showing favor and putting his faith in a teenage girl from obscurity. This is a song about how the Lord purposes to work through Mary and the child she is bearing to save the world. Specifically, you heard it, Mary proclaims God's justice, that God is putting right side up the balances of all humanity. God's putting right side up the balances of all humanity after they've been upside down for so, so long. Now, this is the moment, if you're really paying attention, when the Magnificat gets interesting. You know, I, I, you know, I let people know what I'm preaching on, and several people are like, oh, I'm so excited you're preaching on the Magnificat. I love the Magnificat. I love this, love this part of Scripture. I love this song. But if you're really paying attention to what Mary sings, this is the turn in the tune where we discover how this, the first Christmas song ever, stands apart from the rest. If you were listening, there's a reason why we don't hear this song played much in shopping malls or carol sings, right? Because the Magnificat shakes things up. The Magnificat challenges the status quo. The incarnation of the Son of God, according to Mary, means the overturning of conventional wisdom. The overturning of conventional wisdom. We sit here today, and this isn't, this, I include myself in this, and despite where we've been, what God reveals to us, we continue in our lives, much like the rest of the world, to equate success and therefore we gravitate towards, we look to rise up the ranks of the rich, the famous, and the powerful. I mean, if we're really honest, that's what it's all about. Rich, fame, and power. We, we look to that, we gravitate towards that, sometimes we even envy it. But Mary, if you were listening, sings, she declares, the Lord's heart beats to a different rhythm. The Lord's heart beats to the cadence of the humble and the hungry. God's aim, Mary sings, is to lift up the poor and the lowly, the disregarded and the powerless, even as he takes down the high and mighty, the domineering and self-satisfied. Now, for me, when I actually get past what I think this song is about and I actually let it get inside of me, what Mary sings here is kind of unsettling. And it might be unsettling for you, especially if you're rich if you're powerful, or if you're comfortable. Now, as I say that, some of you may say, I am none of those things. I'm not rich, I'm not powerful, I'm not comfortable. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you're dead wrong. Compared to the majority of the rest of the world, we are very rich, we are very powerful, and Lord's yes, we are very comfortable. We are rich, we are powerful, 
we are comfortable. And so all of a sudden, we don't like this song very much. This is why it isn't played in shopping malls. We don't, you don't get requests on coast. What Christmas song would you like to hear? I'd like to hear the Magnificat, please. <laughs> nope. Nope. And I, I, I get it. I mean, I, I consider myself, I'm rich, I'm powerful, and I'm comfortable. And so when Mary sings about filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty, I hear this and I go, well, where does that leave me? Where does that leave us? And I'll tell you where. It leaves us convicted. It leaves us convicted. It leaves us confronted with a choice. We can learn a new song. We can live a new way, the way of the kingdom of God, the way of following Jesus, or we can pre prepare to be brought down a few pegs. We can prepare to eventually lose what we think we've earned or we're owed. If we continue to remain unmoved, right? Unmoved by Mary's song, then when the last Christmas comes, and there will be a last Christmas, when the last Christmas comes, we better get ready to find a lump of coal in our stocking. A lump of coal. Now, we need to listen carefully to this song. That's my point. We need to really slow down and listen carefully to this song. Because here's the thing. God sends the rich away empty because even the Lord can't give anything to a person who's full of themselves. If you're rich, if you think you've got it, you have it all, then the Lord can't give you anything because you think you have everything you already need. The good things, the best life Jesus offers us, we can't truly accept if we're possessed, if we're self-satisfied by our own illusions of power and wealth that we have apart from God, right? If we're to receive the treasures of heaven, first we have to be, as Mary sings about, we have to be emptied. We have to set down all the other stuff that clutters our lives and our souls. And isn't it interesting, at this time of year more than any other, we become aware of all the things that clutter our lives and our souls. God scatters the proud, as Mary sings about this, because when we think we're better than everyone else, it doesn't take long for us to convince ourselves we have nothing to learn. If, we think you're, if you think you're better than everybody else, then it doesn't take long for you to convince yourself you have nothing to learn. And if you convince yourself you have nothing to learn, then it doesn't take much more of a step to believe that you have no need to be changed. And you become content with the status quo in terms of yourself and in terms of your life. How many of us are content with the status quo? The Lord confounds our pride, Mary sings. The Lord confounds our self-satisfaction and our self-sufficiency, not in a vindictive way. And this is where we got to, again, listen to the song carefully. The Lord confounds our pride, our self-sufficiency, our self-satisfaction, not vindictively, but in a loving way. God cares enough to confront. He brings us back down to earth so that we can truly get to heaven. <laughs> so we can be delivered from some of the ridiculous vaunting and flaunting that we so often do in our lives, so we can stop comparing ourselves with others, so we can stop never having enough, so we can stop always feeling like we have to impress each other, one-up each other. 
God brings us back down to earth so we can truly get to heaven, so that we can be a part of something greater than ourselves. If you're rich, if you've got power, if you've grown comfortable, and that's all of us, including me, if you're rich, if you've got power, and if you've grown comfortable, God comes in Christ into your life not to blow you away, but to blow open your mind and your heart. The Lord's overthrow of the rich and the powerful, in other words, is not the mounting of the have-nots against the haves. God, we know this. This is the gospel. God changes the world not by violence. God changes the world by changing hearts, by opening minds through divinity unveiled in the innocence of a child, the perfection of a human being, and the astonishing and willing sacrifice of God for those who persecute him. Jesus will later say, he who has eyes to see, let him see. God comes in Christ to give us a broader vision, to have a bigger imagination, to perceive the redemption and restoration of all creation, the sharing of the good news with the poor, the proclamation of freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, and the setting free of the oppressed. Mary's song here is a rallying cry for all of us to conceive of this reality and to live into and out of this new landscape with our lives. Now, one of the things that gets me about the, the Magnificat, besides its content, is the person who gets to sing it. Because, from, and again, I, this is my experience, yours may not be the same, but for me, from much of my experience with the history of the church, Mary has often been characterized as nothing more than a virgin than meek and mild. I, I challenge you to, th look, to think about how many Christmas songs you'll hear this season will describe Mary as meek and mild. I mean, can't you picture her right now, stereotypically, right? So can't you picture so many paintings, so many stained glass windows, so many nativity sets and Christmas cards with the handmaiden of the Lord dressed, you know, in her Carolina blue and white, head bowed in reverence and silence, bearing little more than a Mona Lisa smile? Sadly, Mary has often served as the archetypal model of passive compliance and meek obedience, especially for women. But that's not the Mary you find here, is it? Right? I mean, we've talked about this already. I don't know if you're with me, because we've been going through this, and this is part of why we're looking at Advent through the eyes of Mary to kind of correct some things. We've already seen that Mary is the first disciple of her son, Jesus Christ. She's the first to say yes to Jesus. Last week, we saw that Mary is the first evangelist. She shows up at Elizabeth's doorstep and is the first to declare the gospel. And right here, right now, through this song, we also see that Mary becomes the first preacher of the gospel. Without a pulpit, without a Bible in her hand, but with scripture on her mind and the Holy Spirit in her heart, Mary preaches through song. Mary sings of redemption's arrival, of love come down, of justice rolling, of hope rising. She is preaching. Mary, in fact, gets so carried away. I don't know if you've ever caught this when you've looked at this song. Mary gets so carried away, she has the nerve and the imagination to sing to claim such a future for herself and her people, not as what's coming, but as what's already happening. If your Bible's open, notice the grammar in Mary's song. Like every good biblical prophet, Mary mixes her verb tenses. She sings not in the future tense, but in the past tense. For those of you who have got a thing for grammar, more precisely, she sings in the present 
perfect tense. Mary vocalizes God's covenant promises as already coming true. In other words, she doesn't just name those promises, that will be, that will be, that will be, that will be. Mary doesn't just name those promises, she enters into them. But then again, if you know your Bible, that's what prophets do. They perceive the world as God sees it, and then they dare to exist and live in that reality even now. Prophets offer us an alternative vision of the present, one not of God's work of redemption as what will be someday in the future, but as God's work of redemption as what is. God's living history with humanity happening before, yes, and happening now. So, we've listened to Mary's song. We've taken a few moments here to consider the message behind her music. And now, here it is. Here's the big moment. Now, like Mary, being filled with the Holy Spirit and bearing Christ to the world, we are called to sing. We are called to sing with Mary. That's the takeaway this morning. You walk away, that's it. We are called to sing with Mary. You may hear that and you may go, but I don't have a good voice. You may say, I don't have a poetic way of saying things. I'm not much of a talker. You don't have a good voice. You don't have a poetic way of saying things. You're not much of a talker. Trust me, it doesn't matter. Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Let the Holy Spirit be your inspiration. Let the Holy Spirit be your voice. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Let the Holy Spirit become your director in lifting up your voice and praising the Lord. Mary begins her song by magnifying God. Mary's song, as we've said, arises from the narrowing of her focus on what the Lord has done for her and more broadly, what the Lord is doing through her, through her life. Our praise to God will rise to from within if we just stop, if we just pause and reflect on all the blessings we have received from the Lord. My friends, when's the last time you actually counted? This is a very, this is a very, I'm not saying anything you haven't heard before. And people will be like, oh yeah, that's cute. Yeah, I'll count. One, two, three, four, five. When's the last time I'm serious? You seriously counted. And, and I recognize as I say that, some of you may, you're going, some of you may be sitting here going, I don't think I can fill up half a page. I, I recognize this, that we're all not, as a diverse group as we are, we're all not in the same place today. For some of us, and I, I say this with great sensitivity, some of us are sitting here today and this week, this month, <laughs> heck, this year has been harder, more challenging, frustrating painful than we ever expected, than we preferred. But even so, even so, not making light of that at all, leaving room for that, even so, if you step back and really consider, don't the blessings still greatly outweigh everything else? Mary, think about, Mary's the one who's singing here, right? Mary is a dirt poor teenage girl from a backwater village whose parents and fiance believe she's pregnant because she's lost her virginity, not because she's been handpicked by God to deliver the Messiah. 
She's become the black sheep of her family and the talk of her town and not in a good way. And yet Mary praises the Lord. Mary praises the Lord. How many little everyday graces from God do we take for granted? Do we take as a given, right? You know what I'm talking about? Things that we just, we just, we're so used to them, we just expect them. We just assume that they, sh- they should be there. It's just like a given. And yet there are people around us in our very lives, some of those everyday ordinary graces that we take for granted that some people don't have. That that's the focus of their prayer. Can I actually take a full breath, Lord, this morning? Can I actually be able to see can I, I mean, there's so many little ordinary graces that we just take for granted, that we just take as a given. And my friends, wherever you are, wherever you are, in the midst of your real troubles, in the midst of your serious hardships, will you let those blessings, innumerable as they are, point you and assure you of a God who, despite what you're going through, has not forgotten you? Will you let those little, ordinary, but big, everyday graces point you and assure you of a God who will not ultimately forsake you, even in the midst of the darkness you find yourself in? Because, my friends, we begin to find our voice, our song of praise, when we vocalize our blessings, when we vocalize our trust in God's promises and magnify the Lord. What's your magnificat? What's your Magnificat this morning? But for some of us, that's not it. For some of us, it's not because we're going through things that we can't sing. For some of us, we can't sing because we won't sing. And if that's you, we won't sing. If that's why you can't sing, if you're having trouble magnifying God because you won't sing, be careful because your problem may be that the reason why you can't magnify the Lord is you're too busy magnifying yourself. Sometimes we find it difficult to praise God, is what I'm saying. Sometimes we find it difficult to praise God because we're too busy trying to sit in his seat. We want to be in control. We think we are in control, right? We take all of the credit. Man, look at what I've got. Look at who I am. I earned this. I worked hard for this. I deserve this. This is mine. We take all of the credit but none of the blame. We make demands of the Lord. How could you? Who do you think you are? What gives? What's up? What the heck? We make demands of the Lord, but we never acknowledge what the Lord asks of us. If you're having trouble magnifying God, it's probably because you're convinced it's all about you. That the spotlight, the focus, should always be on me. If that's you, if that's why you're not singing this morning, I say this with all seriousness and I say this with, personally, from experience. If that's you, if that's why you're not singing, you better step down before you get tripped up by yourself. The proud, the self-satisfied always end up falling on their face. But those who seek and look to the Lord will always find themselves lifted up in song. Because as Mary teaches us, as Mary sings it, after all, the song the Lord is calling to sing is not about us. It's not just for us. 
Because like Mary, we live in a world that is upside down too, right? A world that's on the mend, a world that's being healed, but a world we look around that's still very much broken and weary. Countless people in this world are suffering, living in poverty without basic necessities, those everyday ordinary graces we talk about, without basic necessities you and I don't even think twice about. Like that. I just took a nice, refreshing drink of cold water. It boggles my mind. Does it boggle yours and break your heart that there are countless people around the world for whom this is a prayer request, for whom this is not a reality? A cup of cold, clean water. There are people still today, alive right now, who walk for miles, who spend a day to get little more water than this. It is not cold and it is not clean but it's water. There are countless people around the world without basic necessities that you and I take for granted. Water, clean water, electricity. Is that crazy? Electricity, right? Education. Some of you who are going to school right now, you hate school, right? Man, I hate school. My parents are making me go. Why am I going? Do you understand that there are people who would give anything for someone to teach them something, to write, to read, to calculate, to, to dream. There are people, countless people in this world that are lacking vaccinations against diseases that are curable, right? So we're entering into that season. I've, I've encountered a couple people who you right now, maybe it's you, you have a cold, right? Got a sore throat, you've got the flu and you're not happy about it. Late breaking news flash, you'll get over it. But there are people around the world who for that, for them, that could be the beginning of the end. Is that crazy? There are countless people around the world who can't even get vaccinations for diseases they're curable. Too many of our brothers and sisters remain pushed and isolated to the margins of society because of the situations in which they live. The labels placed upon them by others, the color of their skin, their gender, their class, their socioeconomic status. My friends, fellow human beings created in the image of God, deserving of no less dignity and compassion than you or me, continue to be overlooked and ignored even as they remain in bondage to addiction, human trafficking, Homelessness, and the list goes on and on. We, like Mary, sing for them. That's why we sing. We sing for them, for the forgotten and the forsaken. We sing for the abused and the neglected. We sing for the hungry and the hurting. We sing for those who have been buried alive under the weight of oppression, injustice, and violence because of systemic sin and death. We have got to sing. And singing in this sense means raising our voices for those who have no voice. To sing for others is not just to speak up for them, but it's to advocate, to intervene, to protect and defend, to lend a helping hand, to share out of what we have been graciously given. My friends, we are rich, we are powerful, and we are comfortable. We have been given so that we can share, so that we can sing for those who have no voice. I ask you today, and I'm want you to think about this. Who is Christ calling you to sing for? Who is Christ calling you to sing for? <laughs> I'm, I never name names, but every Sunday, <laughs> there's always people who have that look in their eye, right? 
And, and I know that look because I look in the mirror, I see it myself. I'm getting pretty worked up. There's always people who have that look in their eye. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great message, Pastor Chris. Great message. Really inspiring. Really convicting. I'll probably forget about it in an hour. I know that look. Some of us, we have that look of resignation in our eyes. I see it in a lot of people. You know, we're just resigned, like I talked about, to the status quo. You know, we look around, we hear the news. Some of you have got some years on me. You know, we've taken it all in, and we've looked at this mess around us, and we're like, look, we've done the math, okay? We've done the math, and we tell ourselves it is what it is, right? It is what it is. Things are the way they are. This is the way things have always been. Nothing's going to change, and it's certainly not going to change because a little old me. It's tempting. I confess this temptation. I confess this temptation. It is tempting in every age to feel overwhelmed by the world's suffering. Maybe you're feeling that this morning, just from raising up a cup of cold water. We can feel overwhelmed by the world's suffering, and being overwhelmed can then make us feel immobilized, right? Thinking, we can't fix it. And it doesn't take much from being overwhelmed to being immobilized to thinking we can't fix it to just bothering to say we just can't do, not doing anything at all, right? It doesn't take much to move from being, a well, from being well-intentioned about addressing the struggles that we live and work alongside of every day. It doesn't take much to go from being motivated and well-intentioned to addressing what's going on around us to just finally choosing to exist in a bubble. How many of us are living in that bubble? You know what I'm talking about? That bubble where we turn off the news, we turn a blind eye, we drive past it, we pretend we don't see it, we act like it's not there, and we just live in our bubble where we become solely occupied about ensuring the comfort and security of our own position, our own privilege, and our own power. Sucks for them, but better them than me. All it takes for good people to remain silent is to refuse to sing. All it takes to get there is for good people to remain silent by not singing. But Mary will not be silent. You hear that, right? Mary will not be silent. She voices the hearts and minds of generations of God's people before her who filled with the spirit of the Lord have protested against and resisted the idolatrous darkness of greed, selfishness, and inequality. Mary's song, as you hear it this morning, you know it's not an original, right? We know that. This is not an original. It's a classic. Her hymn for the ages gets its tune from the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness from generation to generation. This is the same melody the enslaved Israelites once sang in Egypt. This is the anthem that was on the lips of those Judeans who lived in exile in Babylon. As Mary lifts her voice in protest and prophecy, in defiance of empire, in defiance of slavers, terrorists, invaders, and the like, she sings in harmony with the voices of soul sisters like Miriam, Judith, Deborah, Hannah, her ancestor David through the Psalms, and of course, the prophets of old. And the lyrics of Mary and her spiritual ancestors are grounded in verses, covenantal promises of a future present first given to Abraham and definitively performed by her son-to-be named Jesus. If you have your Bible open, so if you don't, it's fine. 
you don't have to go far from Luke chapter 1 to Luke chapter 4 and you notice something. Luke chapter 1 to Luke chapter 4, right square in the middle of chapter 4, and what you'll notice is Jesus sings this same song when he comes back home to Nazareth and reads from the scroll of Isaiah. This is the anthem through which Christ formally launches his mission to take back the world. And Jesus continues to sing this song of salvation countless times in his short life. And for me, it's not hard to imagine it's on his lips when he rises from the grave. We cannot, we must not be silent, church. For singing, praising, and pressing into the character and will of God is a posture of defiance against the forces of evil, the powers that rival, that attempt to deny or obscure our Father's intention to redeem, reconcile, and resurrect his creation. Like Mary, with Mary, we must sing. We must sing. As long as millions of people around the world go to bed hungry or homeless, or die at the hand of diseases that are curable. As long as millions of people die because of a lack of clean water that can be readily made available to them. As long as bigotry, hatred, abuse remain acceptable based upon another person's color, race, gender, or age. As long as profits outweigh generosity. As long as war overshadows peace. As long as vengeance eclipses mercy and compassion. We must sing. You can't be silent. You cannot be silent. And what we sing is not just any song. We're not just whistling in the dark. We're not some whistling some happy tune in order to pretend that these results, these realities don't exist around us. This isn't about some generic Christmas song with cheery thoughts and warm wishes. This is the song of salvation we have to sing. This is the gospel, the coming truly of peace on earth and goodwill to all because Emmanuel because God comes to be with us and for us in Jesus Christ. You are expecting so many things this Christmas. We are, every Christmas we already are. But are you expecting what God is in fact delivering? God is delivering himself in the flesh to us and for us. Who is Christ calling you to sing for? And I know that many of you support causes, and I mean this. Supporting causes is great. Breast cancer awareness, running, uh, you know, for to cure diabetes, cleaning a beach. Supporting causes is great. Giving, writing a check makes a difference. I'm not kidding. But understand, the intention of the gospel, the meaning of the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, is about engaging flesh and blood people. Supporting causes is great, writing a check works, but ultimately the gospel is about engaging flesh and blood people. And that means that singing the song of the gospel can be about fostering or adopting a children, a child. Singing the song of the gospel can be visiting prisoners who don't have family, don't have friends, who, have, who are rotting away thinking that the world has forgotten about them. Singing the gospel can be, this, like this Saturday, going to sing for shut-ins who may live away from family, who want to be a part of this community but can't drive, can't get here, who feel like they've been for, put, tossed to the side because their body is breaking down. Singing the gospel can be feeding and clothing the homeless. Singing the gospel can be as simple as seeing your neighbor, your neighbor, that person right in front of you who needs a little help, who needs a little love, who just needs someone to notice them. 
Singing the gospel is in that moment, wherever you are, when someone is being attacked, when someone is being treated badly, and they just need someone to defend them, someone to protect them, someone to support them, to get up, to speak up, and to say, this is not okay. <laughs> I told this story in the last service, and I, it's, a, it's a good story, but I really don't like telling it. <sighs> you know, I... I, I, I don't know how I come across. I hope I'm not preaching at you because I don't intend to. I'm preaching at myself with you. I'm in there with you. I, this past week, I went to the store, grocery store, just to get a couple of things. I wasn't going grocery shopping, just needed a couple of things. And uh, went to the grocery store, grabbed my couple of things. And I was, you know, I was in a hurry. I had places to go, people to see, things to do, right? And I got in line, and I got in line, and I had five things, but the express line wasn't open. And I just was getting pissed. Man, how are they running this grocery store? What the heck? That's the whole point of the express line. I got less than 10 items. My God, I'm waiting in this line. I got two people in front of me, and the person who's really in front of me has got a ton of stuff. That's the point of the express line. How do they run this place? Don't they know who I am? Don't they know how important I am? Don't they know what I have to do? Man, they ought to run this place better. And in the midst of my ranting and raving, all inside. All inside. I noticed something. I almost missed it. Like I told you, there were two people in front of me. There was a woman who had a ton of stuff, and then there was a guy who had two things, and the whole time while I'm ranting and raving on the inside, I'm convinced he feels just like I do. He's probably really ticked off too. We should revolt, man, we should protest. <laughs> I noticed something. The woman who was in front of us, who was paying for all of her things, paid with food stamps. She didn't have enough. And so I proceeded to watch her then have to take things off of the conveyor belt that she couldn't afford and put them back in the basket or the cart that she had brought. And this is the part of the story I really don't like. I would love to give you an eye. I sat there and I watched this. God showed me this and I was like, man, that's really sad. Man. Gosh, that's, that's a bummer. And then I watched as the guy who was in front of me who probably felt exactly the same way I did, rang up his two items and then said, and I'll buy all of that too. And I watched him as he then ran to try to catch up with this woman with her kid with a grocery bag of food that she couldn't afford, that in the midst of everything else that was going on, he decided to make sure she had. And I felt so convicted, so full of my own self-importance, so full of my own sense of justice, so full of, I mean, I was ready to tell them how to run their store better, right? I was going to explain to them what an express line lane is, right? I almost missed it. I missed it. I saw it, but I missed it. Another brother who noticed a sister who didn't have enough food to put on her table because she didn't have enough, who didn't just go, gosh, finally she's done. Can I get the heck out of there? Which is what I was going to do and not look back, who said, I'll take that and put food on her table. Guys, we cannot be silent. And sometimes the greatest difficulty is because we're trapped in all the noise of our lives. 
The song we have to sing is a song of protest, but don't miss this. The song we have to sing is one of prophecy too. Mary, in this song, sings truth to power. In her magnifying of the Lord, in her protest of the way things are, Mary at the same time sings of a brave, new, and beautiful world, the kingdom of God. Despite evidence to the contrary, under the boot of Roman oppression, Mary sings as if God's liberation front is already on the move. Before the shadow of injustice that's all around her, Mary sings of God's righting of wrongs as already beginning to take place. In the midst of a culture of violence, more violent than ours, Mary sings of God's peace as already here. She evokes those promises that sound way too good to be true, not as a vision of something distant on the horizon, but as a blessed future already breaking into her present. And we have to sing prophetically. We have to give voice to the Lord's reign and victory in Christ now. That man, you may think it's nothing, but that man in buying those groceries, taking that bag and chasing after that woman was telling her the God, Lord's promise to feed the hungry, to put food on the table is not a promise for tomorrow. It's a promise for today. Today. We got to mix up our tenses. We've got to see the past, in the past, what's unfolding now in our lives. We've got to realize that this reality that God speaks into our life at Christmas time is not something we have to wait for. It's something we can live out of, into, right now. And so I ask you, how, today, as you sit here, how is the Holy Spirit, even now, today, rising up the anthem of the gospel to be sung and lived out in the particularity and everydayness of your life? Who is Christ calling you to sing for? What is your Magnificat? And if you're struggling to sing prophetically, to sing like this, the Spirit's already there, but to sing prophetically, you have to look back at God's steadfast love and faithfulness in your life in order to look forward and perceive how the Lord is working in the midst, fulfilling his vision for his people, for his world, for you, even now. We can't be silent we got to sing. Because the thing is, if we don't sing, the song is still playing, breaking through all the mortal rage and resentment and blame going around us, even now is a different sound. Can you hear it? There's a divine melody of grace in the air. It's sweet music to our ears if we can hear it. It's the song of our salvation known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mary sings, my friends, but her song is not over at the end of verse 55. Hers was but a verse of many long before her and millions still to come. Because whenever Christ has entered the human heart, whenever Jesus enters your heart, a new song is put into the mouth of the believer. We must sing. How can we not sing? We have a verse to contribute to. Filled with the Spirit, grounded in the Word of God, we have lyrics to sing as well. What are yours? What are yours? I want to hear your song. I want you to hear mine. Beloved, if we don't sing as the body of Christ, that's what we call ourselves. If we don't sing as the body of Christ, who will? Who will? If we refuse to lift our voices, if the word does not become flesh in our lives, how will anyone see? How will anyone know or experience this God who loves and forgives, who heals and makes whole, who conquers death and leads us into life everlasting, this risen and living Jesus Christ? My friends, the silence of the church is the muting of Christ. 
The silence of the church is the muting of Christ. And if we choose to remain silent, even the rocks themselves will cry out. Because creation longs for its redemption. You are expecting so many things at Christmas every year, but are you expecting what God is delivering? No. The Spirit gives us a voice and we must sing. We must act. The gospel is the song of salvation and it must be heard. So my friends, my fellow singers, as the Spirit plucks this glorious anthem on the strings of your life and relationships, learn, learn and savor the notes of redemption. Let us sing together in ways that engage rather than foreclose conversation because that's how we build relationship with others. That's how we build relationship with others and with Jesus. Let us sing with an ear to listen to the voices of others because that's how we build understanding. Let us sing together the song of the gospel, inviting others to join the chorus of heaven instead of shouting them down with condemnations of hell. Because every life in Christ, every life in Christ is a stanza in the greatest song ever written. So let's follow Jesus with our lives. Let's enact not just the dream, but the coming orientation of a just, reconciled, and peaceful world, the kingdom of God. Let us lift our voices together and sing, sharing this hymn of faith, hope, and love, carrying each other as we are carried by Christ into this glorious future the Lord has prepared for us, even now as things on earth become as it is in heaven. What is your Magnificat? Who is Christ calling you to sing for? How is the Holy Spirit, even now, rising up the anthem of the gospel to be sung and lived out in the particularity and everydayness of your life?